0: Thank you, Hill family and the adopted Shelby into the Hill family. Good move. Appreciate that. Glorify the Lord's name. That's why we're here this morning is to worship the Lord, to build our lives on the rock. That's what we've been looking at in the book of Nehemiah, and we are in Nehemiah in chapter 12 this morning. And Nehemiah is a book about restoration. It's a book about rebuilding. And Israel had strayed from God and... For many years built their their lives upon the sand. And just as Jesus teaches us in that parable what happened to their lives, but it just was all washed away. And God disciplined them by exiling them into other countries. But Nehemiah is a book about restoration. It's a book about rebuilding. And to keep His promise, God has replanted His people, just a small number now, a remnant, back into the land, and they are rebuilding their lives of worship where God is at the center once again of all things. And by studying this book, we're literally watching how this works and what it means to rebuild a life of worship. In chapter 10, we saw the people of God sincerely come together. And they were so serious about rebuilding their lives that they entered into a covenant with God and even signed their names to it. This is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to walk in your ways. And then last week in chapter 11, we looked at their plan to repopulate the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is like the epicenter of worship. And in order to worship the right God in the right way, it takes a lot of manpower. And so the great organizer, Nehemiah, is constantly appointing people to be in charge of this and in charge of that. And there were people in charge of temple worship and choir and singing, just like we have in our church, but also people in charge of keeping the gates and who gets to come into the city and keeping curfews and so forth. And really to to do the Christian life and to do Christian community, um, God is at the center, but it requires the servants of God. It requires a tremendous amount of manpower and energy to glorify the Lord in this way. In this chapter, chapter 12, they continue this revival, really. Their hearts are still on fire for God. And now what they're going to do is they're going to have a celebration where they dedicate the wall. After 52 days of hard work and determination in the midst of trial, they were able to build the wall around Jerusalem. These are big rocks, by the way. This isn't cinder blocks. If you think cinder blocks are heavy and laying block, which some of you have done for a living, these are rocks. This is hard work. And in just 52 days, they built this wall and they were able to protect their cities. So now they continue to grow and continue to be strengthened. And they're going to celebrate this and dedicate this wall to the Lord. And so that's what we get to see what um, that looks like in this chapter. Basically, in this chapter, um, it's broken into three parts. The first 24 verses are names, names, and more names. And so it's genealogy. I'm not going to even read that this morning because we've spoken so much about genealogy and we know the importance of it. And genealogy for the Jewish people, why did they keep such strict records of the names and who their father and grandfather and great-grandfather all the way back? Because God gave promises to specific people and specific tribes. And so in order to... Make sure they could, uh, I guess, legally inherit these promises to show that I'm a descendant of such and such. Therefore, I can claim the promise of God on me and upon my life and my family. So they kept strict records on this. And in essence, it's kind of like a, a will or an inheritance. Like we would want to see, is my name on that will? Do I get an inheritance? So that's part of the importance of genealogy. And then... The second part of this chapter is about uh, worship, and that's what we're going to touch on this morning. And then the third part of this chapter, which we will look at in about three weeks because we have Easter next Sunday, and then we have our communion service, the first Sunday of the month, so we'll go back to Proverbs. So it'll be three Sundays from now. We'll look at the third part of this book, and that's about um, money. It's about Offerings, It's about tithes. So we get to talk about our favorite topic in three months, uh, three weeks from now. And that is money and giving to the Lord. And what, what does our giving look like in our lives? So uh, don't get uncomfortable or uneasy yet. You can still sit on it. But in three weeks, bring lots of money so we can uh, <clears throat> we can talk about that. You'll feel good if you do that. But this morning, we're going to uh, talk about really worship. Um, What is worship? And as believers, we hear that word all the time. It's been mentioned several times already this morning. Um, One of the big questions that we ask ourselves today is, you know, what is worship? But is worship is this worship is worship an event? Is it a service of some type? And that's where worship takes place. Is it? Um, is it singing? We call this our time of worship where we sing. We call our whole service a worship service. Tithing is a part of worship. Praying is a part of worship. Or, so is worship like an event where we come together and do it? Or is worship something that we do all the time? Do we do it when we walk out of here before we get here in the morning? Is it a 24-7 thing? Is it an event thing? What is worship? And I think that we'll find uh, it's both. This morning, but um, what does it look like? And by looking at this text, I think we'll be able to maybe diagnose our own hearts. And are we worshipers? And if so, are we worshiping the right thing? And what kind of worshipers are we this morning? It's a great text to do that. So I'm going to go ahead and read verses 27 through 43. And there are some names in this as well. Forgive me if I mispronounce them you got to really switch gears fast, phonetically, with some of these names. And I can't keep up with it. I'll try to pretend I know how to pronounce them. But let's look at verses 27 through 43 in Nehemiah chapter 12. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication of with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lairs. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the, the Taphethites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. So they got their own little woodstock going on out there. Lots of music. Verse thirty, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dung Gate, and after them went Hoshaiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin. Shemaiah and Jeremiah and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, son of Machiah son of Zachur, son of Asaph, and his relatives. Thanks for saying and his relatives and not naming them. Uh, Shemaiah, oh, he just named them. I said that too soon. Shemaiah, Azrael, Malalai, Galali, Maiai, I love American names. Uh, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani were the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David. At the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Masiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Micaiah, Elio's, Elionai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets. And Masiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malachi, Elam, and Ezra. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. <laughs> And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. So this is a dedication. But what what it is in essence is it's just one humongous citywide worship service. That's what they're doing there. And he's got... Station a choir up on this side of the wall, you know, the north and the south, and eventually they're going to come together. So you're, you're hearing music from both sides. It's a great sound system for the day. And they're just kind of marching along or walking along from gate to gate, which is how the um, wall was established or organized. And they're celebrating with great joy the fact that God is in their midst. They're, they're so happy that their lives are being rebuilt. On the rock and that they sense the presence of God and they're doing things right. They're striving to put him back on his throne where he belongs. And and this is a, a wonderful thing for them. So they're bringing out the, the best singers. They're bringing out the best musicians and the best choir directors and, and all of the temple servants to have everything in place so that the sacrifices can be offered. And they're filled with great joy. And they're having such a time that... It's it says that uh, this celebration is heard from far away. So many surrounding people in the Middle East are so loud that they can hear that Jerusalem is very happy. They're celebrating something. They may not know exactly what that is, but their sound system is in full effect. You know, in, in our day and age, we can push a button and increase our sound system. In that day and age, one of the ways to amp it up was to have true joy in your heart for the God that you worship. You know, when you when you don't think much about God, it's kind of hard to sing loudly. But when your heart is filled with adoration and praise, when we get excited about things, we kind of have a tendency to get loud. Um, when you're talking to somebody and, and, and you happen to cross that subject that they really love you know that one hobby or that topic or that thing a lot of times their voice elevates and and they're just excited about it and that's how it works with worship they're so excited about god that the volume level just goes higher and higher and higher and they can be found or heard throughout the land so when there's joy in the heart it finds a way out in expression so, in essence, this dedication is just all about worship. And so what I want to do is kind of use this text to explore the idea of worship. <clears throat> the word worship isn't in this text, but it is, that's, what's, that's what we're witnessing. And I want to explore the idea of worship. And worship is one of those things that sometimes it's hard to define. We talk about it so much and sometimes we lose sight of it and then we try to regain it and, and we try to make it mean too much and then sometimes not enough. But the word worship, properly speaking, when you define it, that word in the Old Testament, it literally means to bow down. And some some translations say to bow down and kiss. But the idea is that you're bowing down before something in great reverence and respect. And then the New Testament, when it defines the word worship, it adds uh, it keeps that attitude. But then it adds the idea of bowing down with great respect and respect. And service and work has you're giving yourself uh, in service and work to something that has such great worth and value. So if you put all this together, that a definition, a working definition, and I'm going to actually give free words to help us understand this, but a working definition would be uh, an attitude of the heart that works itself out. In a life of service. So you have the attitude, but also the actions. So it's an attitude of the heart of great honor, respect that works itself out in a life of service. We're going to look at three words to help us define worship. And two of them are found in our text this morning. One of them is in verse 27. It's the word dedication. So when we think about what does it mean to worship God and am I worshiping God? Think about the word dedication. And then in verse 43, we see uh, another aspect of worship. If worship is going to take place, there's sacrifice is offered. Many times in the scriptures, whenever worship is talked about, you, you often see these words, dedication and sacrifice. But there's a third word that is um, that these two words kind of fall under that help us define worship. And that is the word glory. So I'm going to. Sneak over into the New Testament and take a peek at a few verses in the New Testament that give us these words that frame what it really means. Or what God has in mind and what happens when people worship. You know, it's been said that man is incurably religious. What do people mean? What do the scholars mean when they say that? If you just look at humanity throughout the ages, you will see that that man has this tendency to worship something, to dedicate or make sacrifices to something. And there's a good reason for that. It's because man was created to be a worshiper of the one and only true God. And so it's in our very nature we we want to do it. We want to dedicate, we want to sacrifice, we want to bow down to something, we want to give ourselves to something. It's not just Christians that worship, it's not just people of other faiths, even false religions that worship, it's all of mankind. There's something that we're devoted to and giving ourselves to, and for good reason, we were created to do that. So we can be very dedicated, we can be incurably Religious. The verse I want to look at in the New Testament to help us uh, maybe shed a little idea or a little light on how all this works together is in Romans. It's a great book of doctrine where Paul really lays things out: justification and and sin and salvation. But the verses I want to look at are in Romans eleven thirty six to twelve one. And that's where we find these three great words that help us broadly define what worship is. Glory, dedication, and sacrifice. So Romans eleven thirty six: For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Then he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. To present, or dedicate, present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's defining worship. He's defining what takes place. And it, it starts with the glory of God. And then it, it finds its expression in God's people presenting or dedicating themselves and making sacrifices. So there's these three words that help us define worship. The reason we dedicate, the reason we worship is to him be glory forever. Because God deserves to be worshipped. He, he deserves the devotion. He deserves all of us, all of the time. So let's look at these three words quickly. First of all, glory. Um, what does it mean to give Glory to something. Well, again, it's something that we hold in such high esteem. It's something that we ascribe great worth to, to the point where we will bow down to it, to the point where we'll alter our lives to it. There are things in this world, metaphorically speaking, that our hearts are bowing down to. Now, physically, we can bow the knee to the Lord or whatever it is that we worship. But our hearts are bowing the knee to something or some things. And that's, that's the glory in our lives. That's, that's the thing that we are glorifying. And it's, it, it puts us on our knees. So um, we hold it in high esteem. What kind of things or how do you find out what holds a position of glory in our lives? We ask ourselves questions like, what really motivates me? What is that thing that just gets me out of bed morning after morning? What is it that I find that I want to give my life to? What is what do I what am I turning to to find peace, joy, um, salvation, comfort when life is so hard? What what am I turning to? What am I looking for? What's my go to? What is that thing that I hold in high significance, that person or that thing? Because I hold it in such a high place, I'm kind of shaping my life around it. What is that? Because there's something in our lives, maybe more than one thing, that we're holding in a very high position. And we're putting a lot of faith in and a lot of trust in it. And we're going to that to find what we think we need. In life, that It's that that has a position of glory, so much so that we're willing to move and shift other things in our lives to keep that up in its place of preeminence. To God be the glory, is what Paul says. And then we have this word dedication. So once we have the object of our worship, what do we do to it? Well, we present ourselves to it. We dedicate ourselves to it. Because it's so important to us. Uh, Romans says, present your bodies, dedicate your bodies to Christ in all things. So what are we throwing our bodies at? What are we throwing, giving our our, our all or our person to? What are we standing so faithfully behind that we're devoted to? We're committed to. Just as a illustration that's kind of easy, help, help us understand it, don't mean to step on any toes, but think about football season. <clears throat> football season, what do we often see in addition to the players on the field? I mean, it's just a part of the whole persona. It's not just about the players, it's about the fans. The fans often are what make the players or watching the game so excited. And it's the dedicated fans that we can really get a kick out of. Those that have just really committed their lives. How do they act? Well, if you're really dedicated to your team, you got your jersey. With your favorite number, your favorite player on it. Maybe you have your hat. And you don't wear any other team jersey because that's just cheating. That's just a total betrayal. You want everybody to know what you're behind, who you're cheering on. What team you absolutely love. You don't care for the others. You want to promote your team. You might have a bumper sticker. You might have flags flying out your windows on game day. Because you're devoted to this and you want others to know when you drive by or walk by, now that's a Cowboys fan or that's a Tech fan right there. They're really dedicated. The more dedicated you are, I guess, the more paraphernalia you have to make that very uh, obvious. And if you are a really dedicated fan, you're going to try to go to all the games if you can, or at least watch all of the games. And if you miss a game, you almost feel like you've committed this great sin. You're, Man, I've let my team down because I didn't watch them play. I wasn't there to cheer them on even though they can't hear you when you're in your living room on the <clears throat> watching the TV. So you're very devoted. You're keeping up with it. You know the players on the team, you know the stats, you know who got injured and all these kind of things. It's a devotion. It's a commitment. It takes time and energy. So our glory can be given to those kind of things. Uh, People can be given to um, earthly heroes, can be given to hobbies, can be given to relationships. What are we throwing our weight behind to this thing that we are holding of great Worth could be our our marriages, could be our children, could be our degrees or our education. Uh, Could be the thing that's plastered all over our Facebook page so that when people visit us, this is what they see. I want everybody to know that this is what I've committed my life to and devoted my life to. And this season, it might be a political um, person or a political party that we rally behind. So we have this object that we hold in great worth and therefore... We're devoting ourselves to it. We're absolutely committed and faithful to it. And then the obvious thing falls in place after that. And that's the third word, sacrifice. Well, why does sacrifice come into play if we love something so much? Well, because we're human. The fact of the matter is there's just not so much of us to go around. We're limited in what time we have. We've got to work within the clock. We're also limited in our energies. We're limited in how many thoughts we can think at one time. We're limited in how much we can do at one time. And in order to keep that thing on the pedestal, in order to keep it so important and to, to stay committed to it, we have to make sacrifices. Sacrifices. And because we're limited in time and devotion, well, in order to keep this up here, I've got to get rid of this and put it over here. I can't spend time on this now so I can take that chunk of time or devotion or my energy so I don't wear myself out and I can just keep this thing up in its glorified position. And a lot of times in this shifting of making sacrifices, we get rid of the wrong things. We neglect giving time and energy. The things that really need our time and energy, and we get into this cycle. So sacrifices are involved. And just to get back on the silly illustration of football fans, if you uh, just think about what does it takes to be just a real diehard fan, where you are, you have unquestionable loyalty. Well, you need to make the sacrifice to go to every game not just watch it from your living room. So you got to have the money to buy the tickets, to fly, and to get the good seats. And while you're there watching that game and all that travel time, there's other things that you're not doing. See how that see how that works? Or you're a fan, you can't quite afford to go around and follow your team, so you you arrange your living room. You make sacrifices. And you've got comfy furniture to sit on, maybe have a few buddies over. You got lots of snacks, maybe and drinks that you can't afford. And you got that five or six foot flat screen TV that you had to make sacrifices to pay for. So you can see the game in its proper light. It's okay that your health insurance lapsed as long as the wife and kids don't know about it. Because you had to have this TV. So these sacrifices to you are worth it in your life. Got to have the cable, too. Regular channels won't work. Anyway, you get the point. Our our time, our talents, our resources primarily go towards these things because we're worshipers and it really comes natural. I mean, think about your life. I'm sure all of us are dedicated to one or, or maybe several things right now. We're spending our time doing that. And there's something or some things or some objects that are very important to us right now. And it's probably obvious to others that around us. Loyalty. So glory, dedication, sacrifice. Wonderful things. The natural tendency to worship. We were created to do that and we're good at it. The problem is that we don't always worship the right thing. That's where we really get ourselves into trouble. Is when the wrong thing is in this position of preeminence. Paul puts it in uh, again in Romans one twenty two. He says, here's our tendency. And here's what happens. Because of our sin nature. You know, sin means to miss the mark. And so because we keep missing the mark, we... we, the target's kind of blurry, we're confused about it, we don't. Our, our passions and our desires are wanting the wrong things and we, we keep missing it and missing it. What happens is, uh, rather than worshipping the God that created all things, Creator God, we start worshipping the creation. Instead of the God of glory, we start worshipping these wonderful things, these good things that He has created for us and then we lose sight of who's really on the throne. And when we do that, we get ourselves in this little um, closed-in room of continuing to miss the mark, and we view everything wrongly. And eventually it causes pain and suffering, and then we get to the book of Judges, where that cycle goes. Verse 25 in Romans chapter 1, he says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature... Rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So he's saying, in other words, things are backwards. They're upside down. In common fallen humanity, there's this darkness that has fallen upon us. We're worshiping the wrong thing at the sake of worshiping. Or the risk or the loss of worshiping the right thing. And this could be any created thing. And it could be things that we have made with our own hands. It could be modern day entertainment or technology. And when we do this, we're acting basically like pagans because that's what paganism is. It's when you're worshiping the wrong thing. Anything but the true God, even a false God or some kind of thing created that we've put in this place of glory and we're trying to make it our savior. We're trying to make it immortal. We're making it our go to thing. And it's at the expense of God because now God's neglected. And even the revelation that came from God, the things that he has spoken, the truth, the truth is suppressed and it's pushed down. And there's this great exchange that takes place. And so we're in darkness and then things are perverted. They're not in their proper order and we're using them improperly. So we continue to miss the mark. It's interesting that you'll see that in cultures A lot of times Paul goes on to talk about how this, uh, this idolatry and this false worship of worshiping creation instead of the creator has a tendency to lead whole societies and cultures into a certain area because things are degraded. And this area that it tends to lead cultures into is uh, sexual immorality. The paganism and, and worshiping the wrong things just has this tendency to leave, lead societies into sexual immorality and perversions. Now, why would that be? How does that fit into all of this? Well, if you think about Genesis and God's creation of all things, he created, you know, the land the see the sky and all the animals. And that's good. And it is good. And it is good. And they are good. But what was the absolute pinnacle of creation? The glory, the crown of glory of God's masterpiece was man because he was created in the image of God. So the greatest of creations, the only thing that bears the image of God is often what we start worshiping and turning our attention to. It's just another part of the creation that Paul's talking about in Romans. And what happens is we turn inward and we start looking at one another and it gets perverted and dark and, and we crave things about each other that we shouldn't crave. And we want to explore ourselves and get all into ourselves and think about the intricacies and the mysteries and follow all kinds of things that the Bible tells us not to follow. And involve ourselves in all kinds of things that Scripture says we should not. They're perversions. It's just another form of worship. It's a natural outcome. So that, that's what happens of course that's what's happening in our own culture it's self-worship it's man-centered worship we are really into ourselves and there's a reason for it it's it's a perversion or a backward way to think god created all of this stuff good including intimacy and it all has a wonderful beautiful place but it's all with the understanding that god is at the top of all of it and when that turns upside down things really really fall apart so inverted worship leads to um, the human the, the indulgences of the human body and its pleasures and its its experiences and and it's foolish and it's degrading and then the beautiful gifts that God has given us when we turn to those to supply our all of our needs then they become meaningless and degrading the most wonderful acts that people can enter into just as a meaningless, meaningless, nothing no longer delivers. And so this is man's tendency. And we will always see this until the Lord returns because we worship the wrong things without saving faith in Christ and without that new heart. And just another thing, worshiping the creation. Do we see any of that today in our society? It's not the archaic type where um They're literally worshiping um, nature like animism and so forth. But what do we see today? What is one of the most important things that even our politicians are capitalizing on as far as what they're going to bring into their administration? It's about the climate. It's about creation, the importance of creation and how we need to make lots of sacrifices in order to sustain creation. There's a place for that. But is it something that we worship, Mother Nature or the planet, in an in a out-of-order priority, in a backwards kind of way? You see, when it gets right down to it, what makes life is what we worship. Martin Luther said something, the great reformer said something very profound. He said the first two commandments are really related to worship. And the rest of the commandments are implications of getting the first two commandments wrong. That's profound to me. So there's there's only one God and he alone deserves to be, well, the first commandment. Worship God alone and you shall not make for yourself graven images. The first commandments are about worshiping God and God alone. And if if we that's why we don't murder. Because we worship God for who he is. Why would we want to take a life if we know God and understand him and worship him in the way he deserves? We would never dream about taking another life. Why wouldn't we commit adultery in a world where it's rampant because of God and who he is? That's who I've given my life to. It's not pleasing to him. So all of these other things, lying, coveting, stealing, when we worship the one and true God, we won't commit adultery because we wouldn't dare look at another human being like that. See how all of a sudden these sins that are we, we're faced with every day in our culture become a matter of, really, it's a matter of worship. That's what Scripture's teaching us. The fact, in other words, it's not really... About the adultery as much as it is about idolatry. Because if we're committing these sins, if we're breaking the eight, it, it's it's a sickness of worship. It's a backward way of worshiping. He goes on to say that if, if we lie, it's a self-image problem. Because we don't want to um, be perceived in a way that we don't want to be perceived. And we will exchange the truth for a lie just so we can look good. What, we just sacrifice God's truth so we can look good. It's an image problem. It's, it's a commandment. So we've sacrificed God and what he stands for for ourselves. See how it just ripples down through all of the commandments. It's, a, it's an idolatry problem. We covet because we worship things. Idolatry, <clears throat> And according to Luther, if we were to just keep those first two commandments, we would never break the other eight. You know, so the implications of that is if, if we're here and we struggle with some form of idolatry, we struggle with these sins, we struggle with. Uh, worshiping the human body or we struggle with pornography or drugs or alcohol or sex or or materialism. it's the the main issue is worship. And changing our habits may be helpful, but the main the root problem is that we're not giving ourselves and devoting ourselves to the one and only God who's created us to do that. So that's what really needs to be fixed or remedied in order to see, Our life in its proper perspective. What we need is more Christ on the throne of glory. And we need to present ourselves to him and devote ourselves to him and begin to make our sacrifice and and rearrange our schedule, our time and our energy around him instead of these other things. Because that's what we were created to do so that he holds that place of preeminence. Of course, we know that when we, we pursue these other things and we keep them up and we go to them as our place of joy, it's only a matter of time before they let us down. They're only going to help us feel good for a certain amount of time. And then we're just going through the motions and we're just in a bad habit. And that always leads to pain. Sooner or later, we got to face our problem of worship. And I hope it's in this lifetime. I hope it's before it's not too late when we are facing the king of glory. And he asks us to give an account of our lives. It's a worship problem. Mark Driscoll says, we are in a nation that exists for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We do not lack food. We do not lack opportunity. We do not lack education. We do not lack entertainment. We do not lack diversion. What we do lack is joy. So much so that the number one category of prescription medication in our nation is antidepressants. People are just depressed. They're just depressed. Why? That's what happens when you worship created things rather than creator God. We can't expect to to keep going to sinful things and for them to keep delivering the joy that we're seeking in life. It's just not going to happen. Sooner or later, we have got to face the one and only true God, the King of Kings. The one that we wave palm branches to and worship and sing Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. He needs to be in that position of glory. Now Paul says in Corinthians, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever, do it to the glory of God. So yeah, worship is an event. This is worship. And worship is 24-7. It's wherever we are, our lives should be thought about and perceived and arranged and scheduled. And proactively, purposely lived in a way that glorifies God. So, so this helps us see what it means to, be, to, to rebuild our lives, to get straight, to be restored. It's to put God on the throne. And so in the context of Nehemiah 12, that's what we're seeing. The people have joy in their lives. Why? Because God's back on the center. And they are rearranging their lives around him instead of asking God to rearrange, change all of his rules and policies and the created order so that I can worship myself and get my own way. They're going all out with the best of the best. And it's obvious. You see what we give. we'll, We'll look at this in a few weeks as a heads up when we talk about tithing and money. Jesus puts it this way. You have treasures, and guess where your treasures are going to go? You're going to invest them in what your heart treasures the most. And, of course, that's our time, our resources, our talents, and so forth. It's, just, it's telling about us. But when you give your all to God, like is described in this, this broad definition of worship, if we give our all to God, it will be noticeable in this congregation. Things will change. A little time here, a little money here, uh, uh, using the gift here that the Lord has invested in us, the resources. It will change the atmosphere and God will be exalted as we sang this morning on high, higher and higher and higher because we are putting him on the throne of our hearts. So as we wind down the true problem with our lives uh, without Christ it's really a problem of idolatry. It's not that God just asks us to clean. We, why is heaven going to be so wonderful? It's not just because all these really clean people are living up there. It's not just about morality, about not doing things wrong. Heaven is going to be incredibly pure and glorious because we're finally going to see God. Or who he really is. and we're not going to want to do these other things. You don't have to stay pure in heaven. we won't even be tempted to, to look in the wrong direction because all we'll see will our hearts and minds our vision, everything will be filled with the glory of God. That's what it's about, not just behavior, it's about worship. It's about that attitude of respect. And that's what the people of God are raising their voices about in this text and rearranging their lives, conforming their lives to the image of Christ. So let's give our lives. Let's resolve as the people of God in this time. And instead of complaining about the terrible times that we live in, let's just devote ourselves and. Make sacrifices to the God of grace, to the God of glory. Glory to God in the highest. And may God bless the preaching of his word.